everything the movie podcast where we rank review and riff on every single film in the criterion collection i'm anthony and this is my co-host sean manuel miranda oh guys for for, for our listeners for our listeners he's biting his lip i didn't know what he, he's, he's raising an eyebrow oh wow oh snap found dead in a ditch crazy he's biting his lip and he's raising his eyebrows. Uh, wow, he you asked me if I could do a Lin Manuel Miranda without singing. And my immediate <laughs> response was that didn't even cross my mind. There's <laughs> the only one thing aspect. that pops into my head when I think of that guy. <laughs> on this on today's episode, uh, we are covering the Eisenstein movies, but we're doing this in a, in style. This is going to be our Sean. I asked you to do that without singing because this is going to be our first ever musical episode. It's, it's uh-huh. a big deal where it's it's there's going to be music completely original that have nothing to do with anybody else and we're and it's going to be awesome it's going to be so cool so uh is that why andrew lloyd weber is on the call yeah that, yeah that's it he's just here to watch he just like cam- yeah like he's muted but his camera's on i see he he door dashed like had <laughs> tie and he's been eating that for a while he's just been staring at us he's not reacting to you talking about him either i don't no, know if, not at all i don't speaker on <laughs> i think he's also Andrew playing Baldur's gate <laughs> <laughs> on today's episode we're talking i'll add him to my session <laughs> for our first ever musical episode we are talking uh Four movies. One of them is a movie that eventually became a, a very well-known musical. That's Pygmalion. We're gonna save that for the end. We're gonna talk Pygmalion, you know, and all and all them at the end. We're gonna do that. But first, we got the Eisenstein, the Sound Years, right? We gotta talk. We got uh, th- this box set of three important movies. Uh, we got Alexander Nevsky, and we've got Ivan the Terrible Part One and Ivan the Terrible Part Two. Uh, it important works in cinema history. Uh, I'm just going to read the Criterion description. Oh, well, well, first, first, Sean, what did you think of this week? So, I, I'm a big Fritz Lang guy. You know this. Oh, sure. And sure. Sergey here, he was giving Fritz. He was serving cunt. I mean, obviously. He was on the Fritz. Really need to, but he was he was on the Fritz. He was laying off, and I find that very gratifying, and I'm very excited to hear what you think about his offerings here. I, I felt very similarly. I was totally uh, invested. I, I The only thing is that I felt I was more thinking of him as a David Lean-esque filmmaker, as, as like this epic guy, you know, and uh, you're, you're right. He's very expressive, very, very noirish. But I think that's what really touched me about his work the most. Uh, I'm going to read first the description for the box set for Eisenstein, The Sound Years, and then we're going to talk about Alexander Nevsky and Ivan the Terrible Part 1 and 2. Sergey, Sergey, I got it wrong last time, like seventy times. I thought you were doing it on purpose. I just owned it, but I so that's a G. definitely. So that's a G, Sergei. but it's Sergey. There you go. There you go, pal. Sergey, I thought I'd said that last time. 
Sergei Eisenstein, long regarded as a pioneer of film art, changed cinematic strategies halfway through his career. Upon returning from Hollywood and Mexico in the late 1930s, he left behind the densely edited style of celebrated silence like Battleship Potemkin and October, turning instead to historical sources, contradictory audiovisuals, and theatrical sets for his grandiose yet subversive sound era work. This trio of rousing action epics reveals a deeply unsettling portrait of the Soviet Union under Stalin and provided battle scene blueprints for filmmaking giants from Laurence Olivier in Henry V to Akira Kurosawa in Seven Samurai. Um, the first of these movies is called Alexander Oh my god. How oh, does a grand prince, exile, ruler of Vladimir, a Russian, dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in a huge continent, depowered, retired, go on to defy the boyer's powers? Well, the word got around. They said, this prince is insane, man. The Criterion Collection shows him fighting for the motherland. Eisenstein's sound years made an epic from his name, and our listeners should know his name. What's your name, man? Alexander Nevsky. My name is Alexander Nevsky, and I lead Russians to fight Europe in the Crusades, in the Crusades. That's not true. <laughs> That's not the Crusades. That's not it? Wait, no, that was the Crusade against them. That was a Crusade. No, oh, but you can't say Google the Crusades. Okay. We all know what you're talking about when in you say a crusade, the Crusades. In a, I wouldn't talk. I didn't speak. I sang. In a crusade doesn't sound as good as the crusade. But it's not a crusade. The crusades were offensive. The crusades were invasions. This was a defensive conflict. Oh, they were. No, I meant the the European, the, the, the Germans against them were technically participating in a crusade as dictated okay. by, yeah, when I Googled it. And okay, so I was like, well, oh yeah, cool. Crusade sounds really cool in the, in, in, as, a, as a part of the, <laughs> the course. Okay. Anyway, well, uh, that was, you know, I'm we just saying, maybe like, number. maybe Andrew could, I mean, obviously the song was perfect, <laughs> and, but maybe right. his historicity could use some, could use Right. Some. Andrew, could you punch that up? Andrew, do you know anything about Russian history? Uh, he's uh, continuing to eat. He does not seem to be reacting at all. Okay, cool. I don't, is he, okay, he blinked. <laughs> So he is, he is like, he just has very limited capacity to, this sucks, man. <laughs> oh, sorry, Andrew. Okay. Um, now right. he's crying. What the fuck? <laughs> all right, whatever. Let's just ignore him. Eisenstein drew on history, Russian folk narratives, and the techniques of Walt Disney to create this broadly painted epic of Russian resilience. This story of Teutonic knights vanquished by Prince Alexander Nevsky's tactical brilliance resonated deeply with the Soviet Union concerned with the rise of Nazi Germany. Widely imitated, most notably by Laurence Olivier's Battle of Agincourt recreation for Henry V, the battle on the ice scene remains one of the most famous audiovisual experiments in film history, perfectly blending action with the rousing score of Sergei Prokofiev. Uh, yeah, this thing rocks. This I am very okay. glad you liked this. I thought that there was, I don't know why, but for, for a while I thought, oh, Anthony might not be big on this maybe it was more so that i was so I mean, into it that i was worried about how exactly i would defend it but sure. 
for the first 20 minutes, I felt exactly the way you did. I'm Anthony might not be into this, but well, the thing that turned it around for me Uh was when the totters and Alexander Nevsky boys are in a little bit of a tussle Mm -hmm. and Alexander has not yet been introduced. He's just out in the water doing his fishing. And then he turns around and yells out, Hey, stop that. And all of them immediately stop that. And they look over to him and then he throws out his chest and he's mm-hmm. like, I'm fucking Alexander Nevsky and my, yeah. my I'm completely uncircumcised. <laughs> like whatever he says. I mean, it, he doesn't, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's what he <laughs> meant bit. to say. And yeah, I started sure. smiling and I said, this is the kind of movie that I like to watch. I don't know where they're sa- what they're saying in terms of the techniques of Walt Disney being taken from, but I definitely feel this sort of when you're talking about renaissance era disney but this is like obviously way 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 before that but when i think of like well like this feels like it's like the lion king or whatever it is an epic story you understand that there are stakes here at play and that there's going to be these giant battles and the masses have to are sort of like their own character and they rise up to help out this guy who's like this i don't know this lightning rod of, of courage and and you know this this icon of russian resilience or whatever it i mean it's awesome it, it reminds me of uh lord of the rings or anything with like huge epic battle scenes feels like it's just taking from this and this its raw ability to both make the battle feel so huge but also uh you have individual moments small character moments mostly provided by our uh our two our two boys who are uh, in a subplot competing for a woman's love through their battle prowess they are very boyish even though both of them seem to be approximately oh, 37 years for old, sure which is endearing <laughs> i like that and well, they're and they're their the, bride i mean that they're, they're boys over, is a, she's like 12 yeah they're the is, boys they're the they, boys. oh they're the lads they're, they're the lads yeah uh i just i i you know it very much feels like our ideas about epic action about uh that you know, go through to Lord of the Rings or Braveheart or any of these giant fantasy battles where two sides just like run it Narnia, right? Where two sides just run at each other mm-hmm. like crazy or whatever, uh, is very highly influenced by this movie. And yet this movie also feels so tactical. It feels like it's about sort of yeah, I like of these that. Tro- uh the, the these troops and how they're able to uh go against a force that seems insurmountable. Even though um there's something raw and heroic and silly about it, uh, in in the best way possible, mythic about it. It does feel like it still retains an amount of specificity that keeps this whole thing uh, high energy, just going for the for for its runtime. And it's short. It's like a it's like a ninety minutes. No, okay, or it's not ninety minutes. It's almost it's like uh, an hour fifty. It's almost two, right? Whoa, it's like but, an hour twenty-seven. Did we watch different cuts? Did I miss some Nevsky? It's 112 minutes. Uh, according hmm. to according to according to the Criterion Channel, anyway. Well, shit. The uh, cut the I saw was an hour 27. Oh snap! Well, I what they cut out? That's Maybe pretty we'll strange. Run... Uh, yeah. Hey. Anyway, well, I still uh, liked it. It was good. It was good though. But it feels very short. Even if you watch the full, whatever, I don't think that I don't even know whatever. Anyway, it just is what's listed here. I'm only looking at what's listed on the Criterion because dot com site because that's we only get our uh, our our facts from the Criterion site and we say thank you. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so I I just thought that um it, it, it was so it used its runtime effectively. It has one huge battle that lasts for most of the runtime, it feels like. Uh it but it still is able to give characterization enough for all these characters. Yes, this is at its core just kind of propaganda. I don't feel like it, it has this feeling, but we're so far removed from it that I kind of put it aside again, like it's fantasy. Like, you know. yeah, it feels removed from it, or it, it feels right. like it can be removed from its context, like a lot of great old stories or whatever, like Grimm's sure. fairy tales, whatever purpose they originally served to make yes. kids not go in the woods so they wouldn't get eaten by wolves that were two levels higher than them. <laughs> That's not. Man, I want I'm like a return to tradition guy, but I want to mm. bring back RPG mechanics. Because back mm. in the day, everyone had to have RPG mechanics happen to them. Our forefathers, they saw their HP in the bottom left of their heads up display. <laughs> and it's I don't. It's true. It's canon. It's true. All of that's true and all of that's canon. Alex my grandfather that's My true. grandfather tells me about the days when he used to say, like, I didn't bring my sweetheart enough jewels to increase the affection level. And then one day I killed a, a mini boss and I got enough jewels. And I then used he to, smiles and he died I used to in go his chair. Kill his eyes rats with my over. teeth just for the XP. Uh-huh. <laughs> he said, I would just kill so many. I would find, he would say, Sean, I found the spot in my basement where the rats respawned. <laughs> and let me tell you... The next day, I had level 17 strength, and I was the talk of the town. <laughs> and his eyes glassed over, and he passed away. <laughs> he thinks about, like, oh, man, they had a, there was a legendary, like, hoop stick. You know, like, kids have hoop sticks back in the uh -huh. day? There was a legendary hoop stick, but because I had not taken that proficiency at a lower level, and that talent tree was unopened to me. And so it just despawned, and I felt so bad. It was a legendary a, drop. It was an orange <laughs> drop hoop stick, but I accidentally loaded an old save, and it was gone oh, forever. So that's kind of like what Alexander Nevsky is all about. It's true. Um, I, uh... Yeah. Can I shout out, I really like the translation. Now yeah. that apparently I watched a fucked up version, I don't know what you got, but there was a joke that they had. I mean, not even a joke. It's when um, it's when they were arguing about whether to call in Alexander to fight oh. against the Germans. And they were, you know, the, the rich merchant class, they were saying like, no, we shouldn't do anything. We should roll over and expose our soft bellies. And the other guys were saying, these guys... You know, mother, mother-in-law, motherland, they don't know anything about it. Like, they were doing a pun with, like, mothers and mothers-in-law and motherland. Uh -huh. And I was like, that's sick. Because that's probably a little bit tough to translate. Sure. And I could see them just having given up on that. And there were a few little things like that. That's the only one I took a note of. But I didn't like, take any This is, like, a notably good script as it is subtitled, you know? Like, there's good lines in this. I don't remember I when, um... distinctive like that, except we'll get into Ivan the Terrible, where later he calls his 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 love his sweetheart, and I was mm -hmm. like, I don't know if... 
I don't he's, know. Work steady, steady girl. Man. Right? Like, like he's like, oh no, my like you know, because it's Ivan the Terrible. It's this dramatic, like noirish looking thing, and he's like, my sweetheart has been murdered. We're like, all right, my shorty. All right, buddy. <laughs> you okay? Um, do you it's remember nothing. when Alexander is mending the nets? Mm. Or, you know, he's, his guys, his little boys, his pet boys are complaining about mending the nets. Yes. And then once they go to bed, mm. he gets up and he's holding in his hands and he goes, fine work, not like fighting Swedes. And then he rips it. And yes, that's I the do one that. thing in the entire movie that's like depth of characterization to any of them <laughs> to it any just of them, goes yeah. completely ignored and it's and that's not an insult that's not demeaning at all but it no. was just so badass just the mm-hmm. way that it was framed the way that was i love alexander nevsky's actor's performance because mm. it is it's like just goofy enough but he pulls it off he's got enough charisma i love the way he throws out his chest to just throw the the full scope of his skinny little body not to it keep works. on invoking this this movie, but you know, v, but in the Muppets, Viggo Mortensen, you know, Viggo Mortensen in the famous role that's a lot like this, uh, when he plays the guy in Green Book, and he's like, <laughs> "That's where I was going," but I was drinking water. <laughs> I knew you were thinking it. No, you saw it in my eyes. Is, yeah, Aragorn's obviously like a, a very similar. Where I'm like, I don't know if I know what this guy's deal is, but I will follow him wherever he goes. And Alexander Nevsky is exactly that. Where I'm like, all right, I guess I'm pledging my allegiance to this dude. You know, mm-hmm. I don't. I know he might stand for things that I maybe don't stand for, but he's got a sword and he looks so good when he swings it. You know, he's got your back, no yeah. matter and what. He, and yes, he's the kind and of we guy brethren, you want. Yeah. He's the kind of guy you want, fucking on your team mm-hmm. 100 percent um yeah i i yeah this i want i'm so mad that there's no criterion blu-ray of this because i want to re-watch it just for the battle scenes i had this feeling like could like a dad watch this would a dad enjoy this because almost mm. i almost feel like the like i said the first 20 minutes i was like i get me off of this train I, this is not great right and then when the battle kicks in uh, a, a little bit before when the battle kicks in when they're really starting to start set up like the tactics of the thing it, when you said you had your moment when he's like yelling at the, the guys to like you know behave mm. uh which is a which is crazy it's just, you know you can have the same moment in like I don't know, bad teacher or something, where you're like, wait a sec, suddenly I'm on this this character's side. She's had to behave. No, but uh, I felt that way about... Um, I, I felt that way when we start to get into the tactics of the thing. And I wonder if I could just show this to, like, a normal-ish person a, a tip from our time and just be like, hey, check this out and see if you like this. You know, I... I think an open-minded normal person would sure. find something good in it. Well, mm-hmm. not just that. I think that they could appreciate it. I think that as we've talked about, or at least as I've talked about for a while, is that I am a big fan of action scenes as art, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. in so many different mediums, there's so many different tricks and, and technical things. And there's so many ways that you can fuck it up that completely ruin a scene. And I'm mm-hmm. not... And if you don't give it a little bit of leeway, right? And one of those things is they didn't used to do blood. They also, I mean, they don't really do choreography in this, Mm. but the way that it's put together with the chaos. I mean, because it's not so much about like 
the the elegance of the sword play and everything it's a big like all-out fucking brawl and swords are bristling all around you and your brothers are at your sides and you're just god help you you're just swinging on them but it is very difficult to tell when someone is hit and how injured they are because they just don't really do blood and sometimes it's fine like when Mm. the guy is he's taking the other guy prisoner and he tries to clap the handcuffs on him but at a moment when his guard is down the knife gets stuck in his um in his neck in that moment it's like oh clearly he is dead like this is a big dramatic moment you don't need blood there but in a lot of other cases it just makes the action read so much more clearly and cleanly yeah the the guy who's for aesthetic purposes but also it's just it makes the scene so much easier to read and right. the lack of that. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you have a specific example, go ahead. And the, the, the last, I mean, the, the, our two lads, right. They, they fight and it looks like one of them's going to die. And then he just doesn't. And there's not a lot of, I don't think that there's any blood there. And it was hard to tell if he was like dead just like unconscious. Or, dying or yeah. just like semi unconscious. Yeah. And Turns out he survives the movie, but like it was really hard to read exactly at what point that that was, you know. And it's kind of a small thing, but action sequences are such that a small thing like that can kind of it can throw you off. A stunt, a bad special effect is the same way, you know. You can any of that. Yeah, I I get you. Uh, I don't think everyone's like that. I like my bloodless scenes. I love my my bloodless action. Not that I like prefer it, but if you can pull, I think this pulls it off. I do think there's yeah, like I said, that's not really the stuff, focus. Right? But yeah. you don't need heads to be flying everywhere, and they don't want to show Russia bleeding too. You know, yeah, um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say with this one? I know we kind of shortened this, but I think that we kind of said what we want to say. It's good. You should watch it if you are listening to this podcast. Right, it's now. great. It feels like a classic movie in mm. in that it's. Mm. It's a classic talkie, you know? You got, you go down there, you go to the Bijou, <laughs> and you, did they even have popcorn back in the 20s? Was that a more uh, recent invention? I'm certain they did. Come on. Wait, popcorn? You heat up corn? Let me see. Popcorn. Did they have corn in Russia? Dave. Do they have corn in Russia? Uh, Answer the question. Corn was popped as early as 4,700 BC. But did they invent the striped bag yet? Oh, well, hold on. Wait a second. I gotta check that out. Wait, hold on. While Mm. you're doing that, I just want to shout out the insane bearded jester guy with the crazy eyes who's playing the double flute. Yep. Just yes. the worst fucking song of all <laughs> yeah. time. Just with, the worst with mittens. noise. With mittens. Like, you see the holes, and he's got mittens. Here's what I'm... I'm gonna invent a better folk song right now. I, uh, like, just do that instead of doing that. Like, you're gonna invent a whole instrument, and it sounds like that? Like, come yeah. on. Who brought um, that guy around there? He is I, not getting a fucking spot in my arm. <laughs> he is not giving any buffs. Like nobody's loyalty is is getting increased by proximity to him. Like he is nothing. He's a waste <laughs> of a unit. He's a waste of a unit card. Um, 
I did not. I found someone who posted the his. It's taking forever to load, and it has an ad, so I'm not gonna do it. But someone has a PDF of the history of popcorn boxes and their evolution over the years, posted by Custom Popcorn Boxes One Two Three. So if you wanna, you wanna check that out. Uh, it, it it's certainly available. Custom Popcorn Boxes One Two Three. It was invented in 1906. But they don't say whether it's got the stripes or not. Hold on, I want to, I want to find out about this. Give me some stripes. Give me some look into the history of the stripes. Give me some damn stripes. Okay, it's been around for the obviously popcorn has been around for a long time. Single use in mind in the early 1900s. Uh, it just says 1900s, and it doesn't say stripes, but it implies 1950s. Is it giving In this period, popcorn industry was booming. Move aside, paper bag, orange and white stripe. Oh, okay, here we are. Okay, here we are. 1950s and 1960s were the golden age of popcorn boxes. Kernels were popping in plain sight. People were not as health conscious as they are today. In this period, the popcorn industry was booming. The price of a family-sized popcorn at the movies was five cents, and it was served in a paper bag with an orange and white striped paper sleeve that was folded over to seal the top. So I'm assuming the orange and white is precedes the the red and white. So I'm I'm, I'm going with that one. I'm saying it's well, like, this so, movie was like 20s, right? So this movie was a little later than that, 38. 38? Yeah. So there's no evidence. Nope. No. That they ate the funny popcorn bags. Correct. So nobody went to Alexander Nevsky and was like, "Oh, you know what? I want it to match my underwear." Which is a whole no. other thing that we got. We could get it to. I wanted and to. That's a fucking like, travesty. Peppermint. Um. Yeah. I think we we're ready to move on, right? To to. Oh to, yeah. To our next film. Do we? Okay. So we got to te- let's let's tease this at the end of this. Uh. At, when we talk after talking about I Am the Terrible Part One and Part Two, which we were, we'll do in just a second. Um. We got to talk about. Uh, we are going to talk about uh something we teased last week, which is our list for uh, a couple of video games we think would join the video game criterion collection and let me tell you mine are uh unconventional do you, you can... want to start with mine then mine are a little bit more traditional i think sure let's let's do that right at the end of our ivan the terrible part one and part two discussion which starts a little something like this <laughs> 16th century russian Pardon me, you're Ivan the Terrible? That depends who's asking. Oh, that's fair. You know, I'm your Auntie Yefrosina. I'm at your service, Tsar. I've been looking for you. I'm getting nervous. Come as Tsar. I wanted to do what you did. Make my son your cousin Tsar of Russia. He looked at me like I was stupid. I'm not stupid. So how do you do it? How do you beat Boyar so fast? It was my revenge for my mom for how she passed. Your love. Of course, I could poison your love, my Tsar. Then I could prove that my son's worth more than anyone bargained for. Can I give you a drink? That would be nice. While we're talking, let me offer you some free advice. Talk less. The oath you swore to your czar, yet you're against just what I'm for. You want your son ahead. Fools who run their mouths off wind up dead. Pretty good. <laughs> I mean, right, right, Andrew? It sounds, like, amazing. <laughs> it sounds like you're saying boyar instead of the N-word. <laughs> 
what? Like, that's what's standing in for it. Like, when someone says neighbor. I understand. That was not my intention, to be clear. I hope everyone... <laughs> I hope every boy are listening. I hope nobody, boy are or otherwise, takes offense to my saying any of that. <laughs> um... <clears throat> Yeah, so completely original musical. Thank you, Andrew Wade, for stepping in. You seem like you really enjoyed that. No, you, you, you're unresponsive. Great. Okay. So, cool. Oh, thumbs down. Come on, man. I <laughs> well, can tell you we were reacted. On it. Okay, well, you did cats. You want to? You want to get go? You did cats. Um, He's saying I, that cats is like the the play is pretty well received. It's just the film that people are thinking of that you know. The play was all... Okay. Ivan the Terrible, part one. Navigating the deadly waters of Stalinist politics, Eisenstein was able to film two parts of his planned trilogy about the troubled 16th century czar who united Russia. Visually stunning and powerfully acted, Ivan the Terrible charts the rise to power and descent into terror of this veritable dictator. Though pleased with the first installment, Stalin detested the portrait in the second film with its summary executions and secret police and promptly banned it. Uh, the description is the same for both of them, so that's our description. That we oh, really? Yeah. I guess it is part one and two. Yeah, I that's hate fair. that trope. I hate that trope in modern movies. Splitting it up, part one, Dead Reckoning, part one, Spider-Verse, you know, being split in it two, uh, Breaking Dawn, part one and part two, Mocking Jay. What is this? Where are we? Come on. The worst and movies don't really do this, but the worst is when they call it book because Avatar did it, and it's like that's not it's not going to make you sound smart. Really, I'm only referring to Rooster Teeth's Ruby here. But... Yes. Oh, good. The good good one. Yeah, you're right. Because also, Ruby Ruby's quote books don't have don't like like tell complete stories in and of themselves. They very much feel like basically tv show seasons like what or 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 short movies but like they don't really they, they have climaxes but rarely do you feel like there's a resolution to what's going on in any no book. It, not very good is it no not a very not good show no i definitely i i love it but you know i far prefer Bontium's <laughs> work in ivan the terrible part one ivan the terrible part one is a lot like ruby in that no, we're not going to do this again. Uh, Ivan the Terrible Part 1 and t Part 2. Uh, good. Uh, very influential films. Very clearly influential films. Uh, well made. I found Eisenstein's filmmaking just absolutely... Uh, his cinematography is amazing. You're He's watching started, a master at work, for sure. You're, yes, you can feel it. it. It feels like watching any of the... Um, like when we talked about Agnes Arda and how she's just a filmmaker who you can just tell has this incredible talent. Eisenstein through Ivan and the Terrible, especially, uh, you know, Alexander Nevsky, I prefer to these two movies, but you can just tell from Ivan the Terrible, just every moment. It, it, like he's a filmmaker who, who can really go for it. And he's incredible at staging the frames. Like, yes. like the way that he fills space with, extras I, I i mean we we shout out rightfully i think Tolini for that ability to position actors in a way that that complements the frame makes it feel incredibly balanced this is a one perfect mm. shot style movie certain that's which you know we've said before isn't necessarily the highest compliment on its own but the 
I, just every single frame feels like like balance is the main thing that I think of is mm-hmm. like the way that these interiors are just so lush with this beautiful set dressing the way that the shadows are just like so rich and, and like the things that they do with the shadows with the shadows on the wall like How the contrast is, yeah. of all the colors the way that I mean Ivan himself visually and aesthetically the way that he's acted it changes so drastically and so like in such a pitch perfect way from like kind of noble and and strong like a pillar of strength but still youthful and virile to the way he just becomes this gnarled dark wizard who's just like so sinister but so and so kind of paranoid and and strange and demented but still so powerful and capable like this it I'm not familiar other than, you know, his existence and the vague bullet points of his rule with Ivan the Terrible, but I'm able to grasp pretty easily that this is a legendary figure. Mm. But I can't help but feel through the way that the story is presented that there is a much more interesting story that we're just not really seeing because this is an epic, Mm. right? Sure. And this should feel like it has an epic scale, but it has an incredibly limited scope and focus. We spend all of this time with this incremental sort of palace intrigue across both of these films. We don't spend a lot of time with dynamic characters, although Ivan himself changes aesthetically. It never really seems like we get a great idea as to... Of time passing. Yeah, of time passing or as to the specific catalyst for his personality changing, other than the death of his wife, which, you know, mm. sure. But that's impactful. Yeah, that's that's it, impactful it, enough. And it also the betrayal really from his aunt, which is also a big which is kind of a problem because, you know, in scene one, his aunt is like, Ah oh, yes, I will betray him at some point. And he's like, Wait, my aunt? She she would never betray me. I must mm-hmm. test her. And then, like, by the end, he, like, has proven that she's betraying him. And you're like, yeah, dude, it took you two movies to get to here? Really? <laughs> you know, we, we, we saw it. Scene one, she was looking on you with envy. Come on. Mm-hmm. because It was so expressive. Didn't you, didn't you see, like, the shadows, the, the, the like, low-angle shots of her? You were there, <laughs> you know? And I think that uh, it, it's kind of – that kind of is my biggest problem with these two movies, which I think are fabulous, is just they are very one-note. They, they kind of just stick their, to their their They're one moment even. of – Yeah. And and honestly, the I like part one the most because part one has a battle scene that's pretty stagnant. It, it's, not a, it's not anything like um, – like Nevsky. Alexander Nevsky, right? Nevsky obviously is just dynamic with his battle scenes, and it's got like a couple of shots, a couple of interesting, you know, moments, and then it kind of just dips and goes back into the pal- palace intrigue. Um, and then it has the ending, which doesn't necessarily feel earned, but it does feel like it's setting up earning itself later. The funeral where, like, scene, you mean? Well, the the proce- yes, the procession, right? I don't think it's a funeral. The procession. Well, at the end of part one or part two? Part one, part one. That's what I'm talking about. Where where they're all walking in the big line and everyone's coming to them and saying like, you know, I, please don't leave isn't Moscow. Isn't that the, the funeral of the Tsarina after she's poisoned? That might be. I did not get that, but that's probably it. Right, but like the idea is supposed but to be- It like, does become people, a little bit hard to tell. Is, it is hard is to kind tell. Of the issue. Because time has no meaning. But he, uh, 
so it's you get you know, combine scenes, you mix them up, but there's a that moment at the end feels like it's saying like we all love Ivan, he's the best, right? And like the people have rallied to him, which doesn't feel earned by a movie that doesn't spend a lot of time with the people. Spends way more time with like what's going on in the castle and everything. But I was like, okay, cool. This is gonna be like a new era for Ivan, and Ivan too is gonna be all about sort of like his relationship to the people. And instead, it's even less about the people somehow you know no, it's all about... about the palace again yeah. so the identity of the two films even though they were made a decent amount of time apart i mean obviously they were at least a really long time apart maybe right. i'm conflating that actually uh, let's say that they were i think that they were pretty much shot back to back so they, I, i'm pretty sure that. they were were shot pretty close to one another yeah yeah but they're you know they're part of the same a similar you know continuity but yeah that's that's the thing with movies of this type. And we've been, we were talking about this um, off mic a little bit, but mm. it feels like a lot of my favorite films. I mean, I've, I've mentioned mm. a lot of them already, like Fritz Lang's Dini Belungen and, mm. you know, some of his other older work, like... Andrei Rublev. Yeah, well... I mean, not oh, a okay, lot. Okay, okay, but... yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought you were like, Fritz Lang did Andrei Rublev. And I was about to no, no, no. take you to school. I know. I no, know, no, I know. no, 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 no. I'm just saying some of your favorite films, or at least some of the ones that you've mentioned, liking a lot. No, yeah, for sure. Like Tarkovsky intrigue that, in that. That this person um, likes this person and doesn't like you. The Vampire Hunter D, Bloodlust. Like, all of these, it, the, the feeling that they have, and it's a little bit difficult to put super precisely, but the way I would think of it is that something is mythic if you immediately understand the framework of the story just by a few clues and signifiers mm -hmm. and it's not so much about the progression and being surprised by the unfolding of the story but how how the author paints within the lines aesthetically you know like you understand what is to happen but it's about the small interpretations and micro adjustments within it's like, like when you podcast. see shakespeare per yeah it's like when you see shakespeare perform and the actor mm. has their own affectations and what they do and bring to the material and Hamlet. no two performances are the same yeah Olivier, like Lawrence Olivier Hamlet, Hamlet. Hamlet. yeah which, which I I liked quite a bit more than you did yeah and I think I that that's it. I have a little bit more of that a little bit more affinity for that kind of mythic storytelling style because I am I'm sure. a style equals substance guy all the damn day yeah and, and some of my favorite movies are the ones that are accused of that, but that I have some defense for <laughs> is the thing where I'm like, no, 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 there's a lot of substance here. And yeah. I, so I tend to, uh, it's funny because like, I think some people would be like, oh, you're a style over, like would call me a style over substance guy. When actually I think that I somehow f have found a way to justify it. No, 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 no. There's, there's substance here. Here's why, you know? And yeah. And I just don't really recognize the distinction personally. Sure. So it's different ways of coming to similar conclusions. But all of that is to say, like, Ivan the Terrible has that, but I, the, the individual scenes, like the painting that you're supposed to fill in, kind of ends up blending together. Like each right. scene, while it's stunning and it's gorgeous, it doesn't feel like it has its own complete aesthetic identity. It feels kind of like there's a few themes that the story is focusing on, and it it kind of feels limited in the way that it explores it. It just, I can't get a sense of scale. I don't get a sense of 
of epicness mm-hmm. for for lack of a better word coming to right. mind but and it's a little bit hard to put my finger on i could see somebody loving this i could see somebody hating this but you know it's it's fun i don't mind like in the middle i i i really like this i want to like it more i just i and the thing is Mm -hmm. look i was having such a hard time focusing with this one with both of these movies i i Mm -hmm. liked them a lot in concept and every time i saw something i was like "Ooh, there's something to watch but i you know the phone burning my hole in the pocket i will admit there were some times when i was just like you know let me just check a notification real quick and then i'd lose a minute or two right uh, because it's in Russian and I, you can't really listen at the same time as, as watch right. something in a different language. And, you know, so, but then I would put down the phone and be like, okay, you need to focus, Anthony. And then I'd look and I'd be like, nothing has changed in the past 60, 60 seconds or whatever. Yeah. Not that it needs to, not that it needs to, everything needs to be this fast paced, like what it not, but it feels like the kind of movie that should have a lot of twists and turns, not, not, not twists necessarily, like, uh, like pulling the rug out from under you, but a lot of dynamic movement for the characters. And instead it really dives into a very simple story in a longer sense and fills out its very short runtime, you know? I mean, at least for part two, especially. Mm. It's like a short film. And part one, like, together, they're, like, as long as, like, an extended edition Lord of the Rings, maybe, <laughs> you know? Or like, like a couple episodes of... Two and a half episodes of an Ivan the Terrible TV show. Yes, exactly. Like we, I feel like we could cover a lot more ground if we, we, you know, uh, split it up. Like if we just compressed a little bit or or found a way to split it up and made mo- moments hit a little harder. I don't know. Just it took is, time. Think... Just filled in a lot of the blanks because you, it seems like you have to take a lot for granted in order to understand the story. Right, and, and it, I don't know. It doesn't about it like the terrible, you know. Doesn't like actually feel kind of like a TV show that has a limited number of sets. You kind of, I, I like don't want to say it because they're so gorgeous. Like, do you remember the Polish sets. throne room? Yes, in that's the beginning great. of part two. Like, it's yep. this beautiful, beautiful, my, guys, like, my, my people, incredible by the way. costumes. Uh, not, not, yeah, to, not being not proud portrayed, of that. Not portrayed. Not portrayed very in well. Like, I just they're wanted to point like, out. Like the, the set was that was me. <laughs> but the way that they were portrayed is is also very fascinating because they're all sort of dancing in tune to the king, right? Like they're reacting in these very mechanical, coordinated ways. All of them are vacuous. They're just sort of mm. standing there like dolls, and then it, it the whole thing, all of it, felt kind of like ballet in the sense that. Mm movement and a lot of the times music kind of dictate the pace of the action but in ballet you have you know a theatrical stage with a lot of space cleared for you know the movement and the music to to create this consistent sense of momentum and it's not that this doesn't have that but Mm -hmm. you know the limitations of being a film with you know a camera and a set and everything it well, they capture some part of that. It it does feel like it doesn't fully, like it doesn't have that same sense of, of broad movement and ability to expand and fill its space. So it like static is what I would call it, which is mm. unfortunate because the craft is so incredible. But sure, yeah, sure. I think that's kind of my final word on, on these films. I would have liked to see part three, but you know. I, I agree. I feel like this was... It suffered from uh, 
from from be, you know into the spider verse uh, syndrome. No, sorry, across the spider verse syndrome of a little f- feeling like uh, you know maybe maybe I want to see the the evil Ivan uh, uh, you know run amok and 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 cause some problems for for good Ivan or whatever. What, I really want to see I, Ivan becoming the Prowler. So. Well, at least Across the Spider-Verse is going to be finished. What? Is it, though? Have you seen the, like, production halts and everything? The overworked... I mean, that thing's, that thing's a fucking money printer. They're gonna find a way. It might they, suck, but... It, it's gonna suck. Uh, something's gonna happen. Dude, that. I have an Across the Spider-Verse poster on my wall over, like, right off screen. It is one of the only, like, movies that I have that came out this year the only movie i have that came out this year that's like a poster or whatever or came out in the last like four years or something um and i just i really just hope they don't mess it up i just hope they don't mess it up with ivan the terrible part three um Mm. what would they call it do you think they would call it like uh you know the the revenge of uh, return of the pussy (laughs) getta that would be it yep that would be it cool (laughs) I, I, Maybe I, if I, I can't think of something to say, part. I just shouldn't they say anything at all. Yeah, that might be good. I have a terrible <laughs> I'll try part that next three, time. Beyond the Spider Verse, I think that's that's the appropriate subtitle. All right, now we got to talk Criterion Collection. We got to talk about something that really is impactful to us. We got Pygmalion discussion coming up. Don't worry, we we still are going to return to movies, but we got to talk about what are our picks for. The most essential essential movies to uh, put. Who? What would we put in the video game Criterion Collection? Not movies. What am I talking about? You got I'm there. Stumbling over my words a lot. I need caffeine. Um, you need a lot of some video games. We're going to talk about. Uh, you need to show me some game Criterion Collection. Sean, I want you to start us off. Look, uh, so my approach. I want to tell you my approach, and then you can start us off. T- tell us your approach, and then you can give us your picks. My approach was I didn't want to choose the most basic ones just because I felt like I would be trying hard, and I was like, look, people are gonna fight over what Mario Brothers is the best. People are gonna, you know, have have a thousand discussions over, and they're gonna be way more intelligent than anything I can bring to the gaming community over you know, The Last of Us or, or whatever. But I, I, I felt like... Uh, if you think The Last of Us belongs in the video game Criterion Collection, you will not sit at the right hand of Allah. See? That's why I didn't say The Last of Us, because I think that. Uh, hey, at least you have the self-awareness to be like, no. <laughs> no. I mean, no, sure. fuck that. Sure, but that's exactly why I was like, look, I these I feel are basic opinions. I'm going to choose... I have one really basic opinions, and then I have two really wild ones and then i've got some some like you know some nominees some some throwaways uh Mm -hmm. so so let's talk about it sean what do you got what was your approach what what do you think about so i just i mean i just wanted to pick my favorite games oh sure okay go for it (laughs) yeah well for one i think there's like zero chance that you don't include dark souls the original the original i mean that's just the best um I mean, my personal favorite FromSoft game, and I think it belongs in there as well, and separately, is Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Probably the most perfect realization of a combat system on a first try. Like, it, it's incredible. Like, the balance is a little bit... The balance is fine. Like, it's good enough to replay, but the movement system is perfectly paced. Um, it's... I mean, the... 
the game feel to use a buzzword is just completely pitch perfect and yeah like like i said just the combat system is just completely inspired like i wouldn't expect that level of competency on the first you know innovative shot at an action game system outside of platinum but uh from soft managed to do it the absolute fucking mad lads this and- looks so good i've never heard of this game this looks so good. I am a yeah, mad. You really are not a big gamer. No, I am such a. I am not. I am a very basic. Like I, <laughs> my family. Are Mario, Luigi, for... Bowser. <laughs> yeah, those are my all... favorite games. They're my favorite games are Mario, Luigi, and Bowser. My my dad was a Nintendo guy when he was a kid, and so that carried over. And we watched. We played a bunch of Nintendo systems. I had a couple PC games. And I had friends who had Xboxes and Playstations, and I went over to their houses if I wanted to do that. My dad owns a PlayStation 1 and will bring it out randomly around the holidays. Uh, so I would play some old PlayStation games. I also, like, I have, I have an affinity. I don't know if it was programmed into me by my dad, but I have an affinity for, like, arcade games. But really, mm-hmm. that's it. I'm not a, like, gamer at all in, like, the conventional sense. I just got an xbox and i felt really weird about it because it felt like a defining part of my identity that i never owned like a traditional system a non-nintendo system you know well speaking of xbox i was never like a halo guy but i think you need competitive first person shooter on there yeah and you know what if you know about halo i'm not going to give you the opportunity to get mad at me just the best halo game I don't care if that's cheating. Just whichever Halo that game everyone cheating. agrees is the I, best one. Fine, I, Halo 3. I, I almost put a slot in there for Mario Kart where I was just like, the best Mario Kart. I don't know which one it is, but one of the Mario Karts should be in there. And it shouldn't be. And I was going to put my foot down and be like, the original Mario Kart kind of sucks. So it has to be a different one. And I don't know which one people agree on consensus is the best. So it's got to be one of them. But I think Halo But then I thought that would be, be cheap. I, then I've only I think played that Halo One. Sure. Uh, Whichever is the best Halo One, you should think should be in there. Yeah, yes. definitely. If you're making a Criterion collection for 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 games, uh, a Halo entry definitely needs representation. I think you need a competitive FPS, and I think that that treads the line between first per like single player and. Mm-hmm. And multiplayer. That would be a good dumb guy thing to start calling single player games first person. Calling (laughs) multiplayer games second person. (laughs) That would suck. That'd be really good. People would get. I mean, they wouldn't get mad at you. They just like. No, they'd get so happy about it. Is really what would happen. People would. Yeah, this is good. Uh, All right. Was that your three? You had Sekiro, Sekiro, Halo, and what was the other one? Oh, I said Dark Souls, but that Dark was just Souls, kind of, of a given. That just sure. needs to be in there. Um, yeah. I mean, on the going on the, the thing of my personal ones, and I mean, coming up is the remake of Persona 3, so I may as well shout out Persona 3. Sure. I think it's the, the only game that has ever kind of... It, it, it's the Neon Genesis Evangelion of video games in the <laughs> sense that it has probably the most important message for its target audience, which is stop fucking wasting your time doing this shit. Just I go out it. and talk to somebody. Sean, Please. that's Your happening. days are numbered. You are going to die. We all die. Everyone is going to die. You need to remember that. Please, God, don't waste your time doing any more of this. 
Sean, that is catnip to me, is when there is a, a mo- usually a movie, but like a piece of art that feels tailor-made for the kind of audience that will be attracted to it. That's kind of why I like Scott Pilgrim a lot, is because Scott yeah. Pilgrim is kind of a, a, like, what are you doing sitting on your butt playing video games and watching anime all day? Like, it's kind of like, go get a job, you know, at the movie or whatever, but still done in that style. Uh, that's why I'd like Train Spotting, because it's a movie about, like, heroin addicts that's a lot of fun, but also says, hey, stop doing heroin. <laughs> that's bad. That sucks. Um, so, yeah, I, that sounds amazing. Uh, I had heard a lot about Persona 3. I am just, for the first time, looking at images from it. That was not what I expected it to be at all. You didn't so. think it would be anime? I don't want to use that term, but yes. Because <laughs> I think anime is very much a television animation medium, and Persona seem, is a video game. But yeah, manga style, anime style, sure. I mean, it It makes enough sense. I get what you're saying. Plenty mm. of pe- I mean, not every Japanese thing is anime. And, hey, I, and people get mad at me anime. if I call Ruby anime. And it's like... Well, I don't know what to say there. It's, That's what it's trying to be. It's trying. It's trying to get credit for being anime. So I think that you're well within your rights. I also think as such. I also think Ruby does not really work if you think of it as a traditional web series or TV show. Or I don't or think series Ruby works if you watch it. <laughs> That's that's fair. Ruby works if you watch the trailers and imagine a show in your head. <laughs> Honestly, that's how Ruby works. That is kind of true. I mean, imagine you're you start the first Ruby or whatever, and a couple like a couple of episodes, quote unquote, a couple of segments in, like they're like, okay, remember all those main characters? We're gonna ditch them and we're gonna talk about this one guy who is like in the background of a couple of scenes, and he's gonna be the main character for a little bit. Did you ever watch the H Bomber Guy Ruby video? No, I'm not an H Bomber Guy dude. You have a I'm, lot of we gotta talk YouTubers at some point. Yeah, I mean it's it's a good video. It just I was one because he had that same criticism. I mean I think to be fair, everyone does because that show is a uh, very easily criticized. But it is that was that was an element there. See, you know what? That's a that is the function of Ruby. It's so thirteen year olds can watch something and for the first time go this sucks and i know why and it's <laughs> a good stepping is, stone that's fair enough oh he, he he did the bummer guy did the plagiarism video recently that has been sitting in my watch later f- for a while because it's four hours long and a lot of people are like yes you know bomber guy did that video that kind of feels yeah. like it broke the internet or whatever yeah that's i mean that's a good one all right so Speaking of Ruby, no, no. Okay, so now uh, I'm going to give you my three. Uh, first off, this is my most basic. This is my Dark Souls or my or, or Halo or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm going to choose my favorite video game of all time, so it, uh, I just got to throw it out there. <sighs> Minecraft. Minecraft is... No, absolutely. I mean, that, that's so... the choice. That's number one. That's... Got, I mean, look... I am a huge Minecraft guy. I sunk hours and hours into it. But forget my personal bias. Minecraft kind of feels like what video games should be. Like, it impacts video game culture. The gameplay is so, like, crafted in a... Crafted? In a certain... (laughs) Like, there's something about Minecraft that touched a part of our brains that I think needs to be, like, 
preserved for for generations to it come. legitimately moved the medium forward and it's yes. not without its obvious inspirations but nothing oh, is comparable me. to it in scope and execution and, so I and think that's an impact that's grand yes i also yeah 100 percent uh I, or, you know mario but like mario pac-man throw a, a dig dug would be nice but like yeah sure it, it's definitely single digits for minecraft please um and and i think that it's it's ridiculous i i, I was trying to think, figure out how would you even what would you do to you have to there's versions of minecraft that gets updated so do you just preserve the original version no no one's gonna play that that sucks but do you like preserve like whatever the latest version is you have to like have some way to preserve multiple versions of minecraft well that's that's whenever people talk about a video game criterion i think oh my god who did a video on it i think it might have been super bunny hop who did a similar thing and that was one of the main questions that you would have which i i think brings up an interesting point just how the Criterion Collection format is not suited to every medium. And mm. as we, you know, progress forward and create new alternative modes of expression, including right. video games, it becomes a lot more of a complicated question in terms of preserving a canon and, yep. you know, preserving something for, for future generations. So, I mean, this sounds like an insanely interesting premise for a podcast, but the um, problem is that we're doing a We're a little podcast. busy. We're a little, we're a little busy bit. right now. But you're totally right. Uh, yeah, I, we could fit really in playing four entire video games a week. It would be <laughs> it would be really interesting too, because it would be you who is a little bit more of a gamer, and then me who is just not one at all talking about like video games. But Alright, this uh this week is World of Warcraft. We have to do every single raid, <laughs> every single expansion. Oh my gosh. And uh, yeah, World of Warcraft would be the thing all how do you preserve online only games? What do you do like World of Warcraft is like no no, I'm thinking of League of Legends, right? Or are they both like all online? Which one's I mean No, I, a league you can play against bots. Okay. WoW is exclusively online. Okay, okay. All right, so I'm, yeah, I'm mixing up and crossing my signals, but regardless. League of Legends is the one with the Jinx character. That cleared up nothing. <laughs> no, it's, it's Jinx, the the, so, the iconic Jinx character. Right, from, got it. From porno. He does Jinx, okay. From, from porno banner ads. Sure, okay. And Arcane. I tend to ignore those if they are near me, so. <laughs> you tend to oh, ignore those when I oh, send arcane, them to you? right, arcane, Check this yeah. out. I tend to ignore you speaking. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's fine. Um, okay, so Minecraft is a basic one. Then I was like, okay, what? It, I got to really boil it down. What are the things that the Criterion functions as? Obviously, the greatest films, the greatest... Uh, I tend to, some of those get preserved here just because it's like such impact such importance to the culture minecraft is obviously one of those and and it's a personal favorite of mine so i threw it in there then i was like what is the other thing that criteria criterion does and sometimes it does like weird how do i say it like cult games ones that are a little off the beaten path stuff that has an emotional impact that i feel can transcend across time even if it's not like a um 
even if it's very rooted in one place in time. So I wanted to choose one that was str that was uh, oh, well, I kind of spoiled it. That was kind of strange. That was a little bit different uh, than 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 whatever what everyone else would choose. And so I chose Life is Strange. Oh. <laughs> I know that people have very strong opinions on Life is Strange. And that is one I, of the very... I have a history with Life is Strange, man, oh, and it is not a positive one. Great! I like Life is Strange. I think that it is one of the... It's one of the first video games I ever played where I felt a, an intense emotional investment in it. Uh, as opposed to being like, yeah, this is something to, to burn a couple hours on, right? Mm -hmm. And I think... That it is, it is a story. It is exploring a story that can only. The thing is, I, I brought up Last of Us or whatever, right? Where it's like that was sort of the rise of the story-based game. That like, oh, it's like a movie, but like it's a story, right? And it's a, it's a video game or whatever. And the thing is, Last of Us translated perfectly well into a, into like a miniseries because the gameplay is like secondary. It, you, who cares, right? Like it just is the, the way that they chose this show tell the story but it's not exclusive to that medium you could do it as a video a movie or a tv show or whatever life is strange is video game based and i really think that uh it should be preserved as as an idea of like how impactful those uh types of stories can be uh if, if you really play through them um yeah i, I also it, it feel, like that, that feels like that's a an wes anderson film style pick as in like sure. you like it or you don't and it, yeah. I'm not saying like aesthetically they're very similar, but no, but yeah, that I get game rubbed me the wrong way. And then some people, it's the opposite. So I can see it, that. It is a weird thing where it felt like it should rub me the wrong way, and then I played it with like a friend, and I was like, and I as a, and as we started it, I suddenly was like, oh my gosh, why is this touching? Like, why is it touching me? Mm -hmm. um, okay, then I wanted to choose something whack, right? What else does the Criterion do? Preservation, right? Uh -huh. What is like uh we like lost films are something like that we talk about with Criterion like oh you know we got to make sure that we keep this around for generations so I wanted to choose a game that it, it's not lost like you can still find emulations of it but like it's not in where it should be and I think it represents a phenomenon that like we need to preserve like that this happened at some point ready Flappy Bird I think. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> no. Yes. The Criterion Collection need has like a lot of just crap in it where you're like, what is this? And it's like, oh, this was like the Grand Illusion thing where you're like, oh, this one was lost to time and had was really impactful at its time, but like really no one cares about it now. And I think Flappy Bird is totally that. Like it's a it's a game that impacted a lot of our future. It's kind of bad. It's it's got one really good hook that kept a lot of people addicted for like months, myself included, and then it went down. And there's like the story of like guys, people are bullying me about this, right? Like the weird way that internet culture affected that, the weird way that gamer culture kind of um, has become the mainstream in terms of like being on the internet. I think can all be re represented by this stupid, stupid game. And uh, so I would love to preserve Flappy Bird. I don't love Flappy Bird, to be clear. I liked it for a couple months, and then I deleted it, even after it had been removed from, like, the app stores, which was a huge mistake. But I deleted it because I didn't want to play it anymore. Like, I I thought it was boring now. You and know what I, I think you could do? Space on my phone. Is you what could about? take, like, the, you know, the Godzilla 
Showa era collection or whatever. Mm. I think there's like a classic mobile game collection that you could do. That's interesting. But then that, but doesn't that feel limiting if you're going to do like, because what, do you want that for the Xbox? No, because there's plenty of, there's so many things on the Xbox. But like so many mobile games are incredibly small in scope. I think like something like Angry Birds would get its own box set. Right, sure. Yeah, Angry Birds would definitely like deserve. Well, and then how far do you go? Do you are you like cut the rope, doodle jump? Are you like, where's my water? Like, it, I think what I like about you're right, you're right. But I also think that Flappy Bird is interesting in the the sense of like, you have this one stupid pure thing, and then you have a and you're like, okay, I. I don't get it. I don't get the hype, right? And then you go and you read about it. You open the booklet. You check out the special features on the disc that are like, oh, Flappy Bird did this one thing during this time. And then this person posted to Twitter like, hey, people are bullying me or whatever. And you're like, oh, I get it. This has historical value, historic value. And so Flappy Bird is my pick for the third movie that, or the third game that I think should be in the video game criteria. You talked uh, about I, preservation mm-hmm. made me think for so i mean it's it's available on xbox now but forever like the one game that would like didn't have a proper re-release because it was on the sega saturn and it didn't sell very well panzer mm. dragoon orta that was a game that i have like i've wanted to play that shit for so fucking long and now like like every video game is just totally at my fingertips which is kind of crazy i think this is the thing also about video games there's not a lot of lost video games not anymore no not any like i can't i don't know about too much about video game preservation i know that people are really like up in arms about it in a way that film preservation is is different i know that like the common person can't exact it's not the easiest thing to get your hands on like whatever i i can't think like of uh, on an obscure game necessarily um I'm looking at Panzer Dragoon Orta. It does not look very good. I will be What? Honest. What do you Ten mean? Ten levels of varying lengths and difficulty. Housing a boss. Well, it's a rail shooter. What is a rail shooter? Explain that to You'd me. You'd know it if you see it. Um, but it's where you don't have control over the character's movement. You only have control over their aim. Oh, and yeah, you, got So your move from moon to... On so rails. your capacity to interact with the game is very, very limited. Um... There are a couple really interesting examples of that genre. Killer Seven is probably one of the more famously unconventional. Um, and if you were working on it, like you would absolutely need to have a Suda Fifty One collection. I finished Killer Seven very recently because No More Heroes has always been one of my favorite game franchises, and Killer Seven is kind of his other more iconic work. Mm. And that's one of those that I would say. I am simultaneously very glad to have played it, but I'm also very glad to be done playing it. <laughs> gotcha. Fair enough. You would um, hate it. You would think it's cool, think... but you would hate playing it, which is fair. Which is a lot of 
my relationship with video games in general. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I mean, I'm not good at first person shooters in the first place. So every time I play a, this is not a first person shooter. I'm not making, I'm making the comparison just in terms of the feeling of like, I play a first person shooter and I'm like, this is really cool. I'm glad a lot of people like this. When can I get off? Yeah. <laughs> Hands over the controller to whoever else's turn it is, right? Like, I don't, I, I can't get into it. And so, yeah, I feel like that would be my relationship to a lot of these things. Panzer Dragon Orta. This is not Dragoon Orta. It does not look great, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. There's a lot of copies. I haven't played it, but I, I mean, are you looking at the Wikipedia page or are you looking at games? I, I had the Wikipedia page open and then I go, I, 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 ha, I, I have two tabs. I have the Wikipedia page and then Google image search gameplay. It's one that you kind of got to see in motion, I think. It's also cool if it's not your thing. Like I can see somebody being like not into rail shooters. I don't know yeah, if I'm so like stagnant. Well, the, the other thing about video game preservation that's really interesting is what is something that's important or innovative in the video game state space that isn't a gimmick? Because I think because part of the thing about video games is that you have to preserve a technology. And so, it, like, for example, if you're preserving Wii Sports, which you sh- totally should, if we're, I mean, throw that on the party, on, on the list, right? Mm-hmm. Wii Sports is really important to preserve, even though it's kind of a basic game, right? But, um, like you have to preserve motion controls in your in your remotes. You have to have like a, one console that's gonna like be able to fit this and Dragoon Orta or whatever. And you, like, what is the like like it, what 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 are the fail? Like, do you want to preserve like the motion controls of the Wii or like the bongo drums that come with like a D, D, Donkey Kong game or whatever? Like, do you preserve that technology as well? And defining what is a gimmick and what is a move forward a step towards the future for certain generations of video game like the legacy of video games or whatever is really difficult mm-hmm. i mean do you have like, simple questions like do you have your remote vibrate or not are really difficult rumble i know it calls rumble i like to say vibrate because it makes people mad but like <laughs> r- rumble or not is uh I think really important and yeah you have to represent all kinds of video games but like what is a gimmick what is a one-off what is something that was cool that one time but like doesn't really innovate and i mean that's the whole question with the criterion collection which gets brings us back here to the movie criterion collection because when we're talking about when movies should be justified to be there um or not i think sometimes we just are like well you know whatever but then we come upon something like pygmalion that which is our next film topic that we got to talk about and you kind of question like what is even look pygmalion is a is a play that is really well interpreted people really seem to be attracted to this play that is really important uh and it's got david lean's editing and all this stuff but did this really push forward film as a medium very much is this film important in and of itself are the stars attached or the the talent attached other than David Lean's editing, I guess like really that worthwhile talk to talk about. I'm not sure. You think, well, so, well, first of all, you don't have a song for this. What for, for what? For Pygmalion. There's nothing rich people love more than going downtown and slumming it with the poor. Ah!
they record what they say and gawk see the rabble in the common just to watch him talk take henry higgins the man is loaded uh-oh but little does he know that a flower girl do little eliza is about to change his life with her voice at work work do little work work eliza and alfred help us mister do little alfred eliza work that's it that's all i got there you go like it worked though you know those were all really original songs that i think you could totally tell every single syllable belonged they belonged to you that was Mm -hmm. your that was your song you're a superstar that was my song yep yep no notes andrew no why why did we invite him again he didn't he just showed up i thought you invited him (laughs) oh i thought you invited him because you were like oh this is gonna be the musical thing we gotta have like a guy who's going to give notes or something. And he's just, he's looking at us, but he has very little reaction. He was a th- me a thumbs down a little bit ago. I just, like, I forbade him from coming. <laughs> but apparently, my word fucking means nothing. Pygmalion is like, okay. It's fine. I, I really have very little to say about it. Uh, it's... My, if you guys know My Fair Lady, then you know Pygmalion, the story. Cranky Professor Henry Higgins, Leslie Howard, takes a bet that he can turn Cockney gutter snipe Eliza Doolittle, Wendy Hiller, into a proper lady in a mere six months in this delightful comedy of bad manners, based on the play by George Bernard Shaw. This Academy Award-winning inspiration for Lerner and Lowe's My Fair Lady was directed by Anthony Asquith and Star Howard, edited by David Lean, and scripted by Shaw himself. And, uh, it's like... Okay. Yeah, this is my first encounter with the Pygmalion slash My Fair Lady story. Canon or whatever. Sure. And I don't... There are things that I like about it. One Mm. is that we need to shout out David Lean's editing, as the description did, because the montages in this are wonderful. The montage sequences feel very legitimately ahead of their time, just in the mm. sense of, just in the way that they are aesthetically very tight and snappy. They progress for, I mean, they're just, listen, I'm not like an editing guy, even though I've taken editing classes, but I think that if you watch this as compared to something like, you know, the Odessa step sequence, like a classic edited sequence, like capital right. E editing that they show you cla- in film school. It's like, like classically was edited. It feels so much more modern. Um, and it, it, I think that there are absolutely editors who watch that and get a better sense of how aesthetically um, editing can be used to, to sculpt an experience. But well, Eisenstein, of course. But, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, of course. But in a different way, yeah, I mean. It's very appropriate here. Yeah, it's it's building off of that, I think. Um, and I really like the main guy. Henry, I mean, that's not his name. Henry Higgins. Henry Higgins is the actor, right? Hen- Professor Henry, no, that's the character. That's the Henry, character. I think the actor's name is Henry Higgins. That'd be crazy. What? That could be an actor. Henry Higgins? Yeah. It's like I don't know what they're doing a, over there in England. It's a Beverly Clary like character. It's like it, the name is like he's a superhero. You think he's? Mm, yes, I walked in. My name is Henry Higgins. Yeah, no, it's Leslie Howard. He's really good. Oh yeah, Leslie Howard. That's a damn girl's name. 
Fuck you. But in any case, Leslie Howard is wonderful as Henry Higgins. He is so cunty. Pygmalion is pretty boring, and that's why we're kind of avoiding talking about it. It's fine. It is a class comedy in the loosest sense of the word. It doesn't have a lot of great, like, jokes in it. Um, it is clearly meant to be a play and would exist better in that medium, in my opinion, because it spends a lot of time with just characters, like, yelling at each other and getting into re real tough conversations, and then someone will randomly enter, and you wonder how they got there or what was their purpose the and it feels like tertiary characters are given a lot of importance whether it's alfred or uh what, what's his name the colonel is, is that what they call him we can call him the, the colonel it's like colonel sure, Pickett or something yeah colonel mustard yeah colonel, uh, yeah yeah colonel mustard is given a lot of importance and you're like this guy's had like five lines what he's basically a guy for henry higgins to like dunk on throughout this whole this whole thing why is he being tired of us like well the colonel knows me and i'm like what what are you talking about there's the guy who like wants to marry her like what's going Ugh. a lot of that feels like it's very like would be solved in a play and uh in this movie it just is not solved it feels like it's too probably it probably suffers from someone trying to keep too close to the original thing with while also not really acknowledging the constraints of a movie. And so instead of filling it with something different, it is just condensing what they have left into th this small bit, you know, um, of, you know, so, so certain characters get really reduced down, but are also given a lot of significance just as if they were not produced. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, go watch My Fair Lady. Go see if there's tapes of it, like of it as a play or whatever, or Pygmalion as a play or, or whatever. Then definitely check those out. I know that Julie Andrews did it. I don't think there exist recordings of that because that would be awesome. But you know, it was the '60s or whatever, so uh, probably doesn't exist. Um, hey, check out Ovid's Metamorphosis. Get you some reading done. I don't know what that means. And I'm not going to. what Pygmalion, that... the original Pygmalion story of the sculptor who makes his wife. Oh, right. Oh, of course. Yes, certainly. Uh, yeah, definitely check out any other version of this. Yeah. But otherwise, this is fine. It's functional. I enjoyed some moments. Like you said, there are moments of good filmmaking and the editing. There's that one shot of. Um, I think when she's at henry higgins mother's place and it's, there's this really dynamic shot that pushes in on on her that i really enjoy uh but most of it is just i don't know like the the seat the thing that this most reminds me of actually is princess diaries like interesting the the, especially the scene where they're like oh she must be a princess and there's one guy who's speaking in very perfect english even though he's from like hungary or whatever because he's a pupil of henry higgins and he's like she's a princess and whatever um it very much was like oh who is she? The, the sort of like gossipy feeling that you get it feels a little bit uh too juvenile it feels simplistic and uh i did not did not enjoy it that much and that's basically all I have to say about it. I don't really think it justifies its place in the collection. If you are into the Pygmalion story or My Fair Lady story, it, this will not harm you. But I don't. See... <laughs> you won't take damage from it, <laughs> right? You might but if you don't have a high enough poison resistance. You might be going through this movie going like, ooh ah, ooh 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 ah, ooh ooh ah, uh, 
as you take poison damage. Certainly. From. And other than that, I, I just don't see. Uh, this movie's just fine. Yeah, yeah I don't have anything more to add. Uh, you might be shocked to hear. So, I think that's where we're going to end the podcast. Uh, I'm kind of a, with a, a little bit of a whimper. Um, let's talk ranking, Sean. Yeah, why did we do that one last? There wasn't a reason for I did, it. Because I didn't want to do the Skylar sisters first and re- kind of reveal that I had one for every... Like, if if I start with oh. Alexander Nevsky, you go, oh, okay, cool, he's doing an Alexander Hamilton riff. But then, like, my slow unveiling of I actually have... An, I'm doing Aaron Burr for, for Ivan the Terrible and then the Skylar sisters for... Figuring, you know what I mean? Like, if you start with Skylar sisters, you're like, oh, I'm expecting him to do ones for the other ones, you know? Yeah. No, it just it made no... Now. I didn't... It doesn't make any sense uh, to do it in that order. So we're going to talk our rankings. Uh, I feel like I've le- left out a lot of energy, but it's mostly because we just ended on Big Malian. And uh, also, we got a lot... We got a lot talked about. Politics, video games. We solved a lot of problems. <laughs> Certainly. Out of 166 entries, number 145, I have Pygmalion. Right above Lemillion, um, which is, I think they're basically at the same level. And right below, and the ship sails on at 144. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's my final word on it, on the subject. Um, moving up quite a distance... If I'm not mistaken, we have Ivan the Terrible Part 2 at 105, right above Hamlet, right below being John Malkovich. I enjoy it a lot. I don't enjoy it as much as the first one. And uh, it's not that far from Limelight at 103. And I kind of felt the same way about them, where I'm like, these are really good. I wish they were perfect. And, and and it really gives me that feeling. I have the Terrible Part 1 is number 100 right now. Right below the Lady Eve and right above Lord of the Flies. Very close to Ivan Part 2 because I think that they're very similar. But um, with, with some, some uh, substantial distance between them. Um, coming in the highest of any of them. I, I, and I like Part 1 just because it, it feels like there's a scope to it. It feels like the, they show some, some, some more of the outdoor stuff. They, they, they hit a... They hit a battle or whatever, and uh, but speaking of battle, the number one thing that really stood out, obviously, is our 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 boy Alexander Nevsky. I can't think of I can't say his name without thinking of uh, of, of of the song now. Um, Alexander Nevsky is coming in at ooh, number thirty three. Damn, he's really high, right above Peeping Tom. So that should show you my opinion. Right below, I could not justify it going higher than Thief, which is just amazing, right? But um, it is high up there. I can I enjoy it. It's a it's a overwhelming sense of power that this movie has. Um, and even though it's propaganda, it's it's pretty well made propaganda. Um, and so I have to give it its respect. The filmmaker is is doing amazing things here. What do you got, Sean? So. I mean, that's a tough fact to follow with Alexander Nevsky ranking so high for you. I'm happy that, genuinely very happy that you liked it. Um, yeah, it hits. It hits. <laughs> it hits different, even. Propaganda mm-hmm. hits different when it's... Uh, Pygmalion's at number 151. <laughs> I'm putting it above Lady Eve and below Kronos. I do, I truly love how cunty this man is. And I know I've said oh, it before, gosh. but mm-hmm. he he's incredible. Like the way, and it's, 
I like the repartee. I like the the back and forth between them, but it just kind of leaves a weird, bad feeling in the pit of my stomach. The way that everything kind of works out between the characters, it just it doesn't fully go. I wish sure. I yep. wish I could speak differently, but I can only spit facts. Next up, <laughs> Ivan the Terrible. I decided to put them together at one twenty nine okay. and one thirty, just below La Samurai and above Arsenic and Old Lace. Ooh. It's a mixed bag, but there's enough great in it. Despite which, did you put either of them one or two, or did you just? No, I just put. I I would say I slightly preferred part one, so I put it at one twenty nine. But I consider them kind of part and parcel. Certainly. Um, like I said, mixed bag with great things, even though it's less than the sum of its parts. Alexander Nevsky, I put fairly high, not as much as you, but a respectable, more than respectable, sixty eight, just below RoboCop and above Wise Blood. That's pretty good. It's not bad at all. I don't think that it has the kind of depth, maybe, that I'm looking... But, I mean, also, some of my favorite movies don't have that. I don't know. But we both liked it, so what's what's the point of of quibbling over the small things? Right. I I also see that. I think that uh, I just liked how raw it was. It was so... Exactly. Its depth felt like a feature because it was so obviously propaganda. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Um, Yeah. Okay, I gotta close some tabs. Mitch McConnell's face is staring at me. And with that, let's talk about what we're up to next week, Sean. Uh, Next up, we have... uh, Brian De Palma's Sisters, a movie that I have danced around watching for a little bit, and uh, I'm excited to check out. Are you a De Palma guy? I don't think so. I'm going to be honest. I wish I liked his stuff more than I did. Like, Phantom of the Mm. Paradise is such a perfect movie for me, and yet it's like a 7 out of 10. And that's about as good as any of his have gotten for me. I do like Snake Eyes, the one he has with Nicolas Cage, the casino one. Not like a classic. You are more knowledgeable than me about him, for sure. I've never seen Snake Eyes. I mean, I I haven't seen a ton of his films, and there's a few that I'm missing, like Birds with the Crystal Plumage. I've never seen that. What a dumb person I am for Googling Snake Eyes and thinking that that movie would come up. Hey, you know, it is what it is. (laughs) What a stupid thing that I You are podcasting, so... We can't, uh, we can't expect enough. you to, to be at your full mental capacity. You have to devote that, all of your <laughs> intelligence to doing whatever this is. Uh, that is, to be fair, literally the, the name of the game with me every single week. Yeah. We got Quidon next. Uh, yes, like I love Quidon. Quidon is fantastic. I think that you're going to like it as well. I oh, okay. Mostly because right, I don't okay. really see how somebody could dislike it. But... Uh, Okay. You you didn't mention it. Has it occurred to you that this is none other than Masaki Kobayashi, the director of Harakiri? No, it did not. Yeah. Oh. Probably a little bit more exciting now. Yeah, now it's a little more exciting. I'm just... Oh, goodness. This is going to be interesting. Okay, it's just so long, and it's going to be harrowing? I don't know. Oh, all right. Well, I, I guess I'm going to enjoy way. this. I guess I'm going to enjoy this. Um... All right, so for our picks, I just we were gonna. I chose some real something really weird. 
I wanted to look at the Kennedy film of Robert Drew, which is a Criterion spine that contains like three films and a short film. It's they're together. They're about the length of like a two or three hour movie. Um, a three, yeah, three hour movie. But they're 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 fun little bite sized one hour documentaries. Fun is not the word for it at all. But I have been fascinated by this project in general, and I just. I want to watch these things. They look so interesting. They look so weird. I'm interested. We were talking about the Criterion Collection for politicians, and, you know, I think that Robert Drew is really up there, you know? Yeah. Sean, who did you pick this week? <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. I thought I already said mine. I have seen the remake of 310 to Yuma, and I'm about to see the original yes. of 310 to Yuma. I just kind of want to see a Western. I kind of yeah, want to get yeah, that itch scratched. We haven't touched westerns, have we? Like at all? Ooh. Maybe a little, but I can't. I'm trying to think of a single example. I right? keep thinking that we watched the shooting, but I watched the shooting. I mean, if, if, do you count Walker? Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's not a okay, traditional western, Walker. but it, it, it does right. not scratch that itch. So ride with the devil. Oh yeah. And, so that definitely, I feel like that counts. But we're talking and about like pre seventies, right? Right, like real, like old school westerns mm. for sure. And yeah, we haven't co- covered any of these, so really looking forward to it. Three Ten to Yuma, definitely uh, westerns in general. We should definitely talk about uh, their place within film history because they're they're pretty dominant. They're like uh they're like platformers for for our video game uh, Criterion Collection or uh, Republicans for our. <laughs> For our politician one, or uh, uh, what, what, apes, I guess, for, for <laughs> animals. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Uh, I think we're done. Think we're done. We're good. This is a good episode. It was short-ish, but it was also, we, we packed a lot in there. Yeah. And we barely talked about the movies, which which helps. Should we stop recording? that. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, tune in for those picks next week. Uh, they're, they're sure to be great. Thank you to Tyler Frazier for our editing. Check, we are at the Three Reviews Podcast. I can't believe I signed my name to this every single week. Uh, you can check me out at anthonyreviews.com. I've written some fun articles there uh, and some harrowing ones. I keep on using the word harrowing. I like it. Um, so, so check those out. Um, check us out on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. And as always... Oh, oh, oh my god. Wait. What? Hold on. What's going on? Oh my goodness. What's Do you on? see what, what Andrew just typed in the chat? Oh, he, he did something. Oh, let me check this out. Okay, I'm he's saying he's now. about to go Jeff Tubin mode. What is... What does that mean? Oh my god. Andrew! Andrew, not on camera! Andrew, no! Okay, imagine the words coming out of your mouth coming from, like, a guy with a MAGA hat on. Just imagine that. Yeah, but and it's me. You, you can't, if you know, I know, but I know that. They don't know that. It's me. <laughs> for, all the, for all the people out there, though, you're, like, some, like, 40 or, you're wearing a MAGA hat right now. <laughs> well, none of my other hats were clean. <laughs> My, good. my Biden, my build back Biden, build back better hat was in the, it's in the mail still. My, my, my uh, Bernie bro hat was, you know. My Kamala Harris hat. <laughs>
<laughs> that I am the only person in my demographic to have purchased. I voted for her. I think I'm going to write in Kamala Harris in the upcoming collection. That'd be pretty fun. Kamala Harris, the video game, should be in the collection? Is that what you're Ooh, saying? Ooh, we should have a Criterion collection for politicians. That's a good idea. And, and, hey, and wait, okay. here's the thing. Wait, it would be apolitical. Hey. So, like... Hitler would be in there, but that's Hitler not. Would be in Hitler would be in Hitler should, It's apolitical. Debatably, Hitler should be one. <laughs> if you think I of, mean, like, politicians, look, then yeah. If you're, yeah, look, I don't, whatever. We're trying to be apolitical, right? Yeah. Hitler debatably should be number one, should be the Grand Illusion or whatever. <laughs> you, that's a good soundbite. We're trying to be apolitical here. Hitler should be number one. <laughs> and I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> 